Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for premium content subscribers. Thanks again for all your support. This episode is, well, I want to say radioactive. My guest connects some pretty disturbing dots, connections between Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Bronfman dynasty, how they connect to Libya and the SNC-Lavalin scandal, and ultimately, Jelaine Maxwell and even Jeffrey Epstein. Greg Scott is an Alberta-born independent researcher who currently works in the energy sector as an equipment operator. Greg's a board member and a researcher-writer for the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty, along with Mark Friesen, Dr. Salim Mansour, and several others. When Greg's not researching or writing blogs or Twitter threads, he's cooking or off on a road trip to visit friends and family. Greg Scott, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks, Richard. How are you? Terrific. First of all, tell us a little bit about the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. All right, so the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty was created by a former PPC candidate out of Saskatoon, Grasswood, Mark Friesen. Um, and he's kind of getting a bit of a name going for himself across the country. And it was through uh, a, a, an acquaintance of his in Sweden, I believe, that had sort of sparked the idea for the forum in terms of, of uh, bringing awareness to certain political issues. So Mark created the forum out of that idea and um, just through our discussions and the interactions that he and I had had through the, the election and subsequently he'd asked me to be a part of the forum as well. So I'm happy to say that I'm on the board for the forum and uh, part of the research team. Give us the website, which I'll also include in the episode notes. Sure. The or the uh, the website is ffcs.info. And uh, for my American listeners, you mentioned the PPC. That's the People's Party of Canada. This is a new upstart party that was formed by Max Bernier, who was running for the conservative leadership, and he broke away from the conservative party. So Mark ran as a candidate there. Now, I should also tell my listeners that I found out about you, Greg, on Twitter. Let me say just an absolutely riveting Twitter thread that you put together here regarding our Prime Minister. Let's begin with the thread, and it starts out with the announcement that the Prime Minister made that he would not be attending the formal signing uh, ceremony of the USMCA, which is the new version of the North American Free Trade Act. This is the US, Mexico, Canada. It went into effect on July the 1st, and Trudeau announced that he would not be going to the US to sign that. Let's start there. Why do you think that is? Well, it's interesting. I was I was in Ottawa on Canada Day, um, uh, did a speech, and along with a whole host of others. There was there was a lot of great speakers there that day, um, and that was the day that we, uh, well, we Norman Traversy presented his papers to the American Embassy, um, and then it was it was just after that. A few days later, I was I was driving back to Alberta from Ontario, and someone had mentioned that um, well, there's this meeting for the USMCA, and Trudeau isn't going, and I thought, well, that's very strange. Like this is kind of a big thing, this new trade agreement. I would think that they would want to get together and 
celebrate it or do their ceremony or whatever the things that they do when they release these these free trade agreements and I was pretty surprised when Trudeau wasn't going and I started thinking well why why would Trudeau not be going um, it's not like it's very far away it's not like it would be a long or expensive trip it's not like he's opposed to long expensive trips far away right this agreement you know whether you agree with it or disagree with it you could argue it's one of his i suppose few uh, crowning achievements while in office and that is the successful completion of this it's a it's a huge trade agreement and and yet he doesn't want to be there uh, let me also point out for listeners that norman traversy was on this podcast and you can hear that it's episode 422 422 and he was the one that presented documents to the U.S. Embassy on July the 1st, the day that that agreement went into effect. So go ahead. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, no, that's fine. So in the USMCA, Chapter 27 of the USMCA, uh, now this is a total paraphrase here, but it's, uh, it, it allows other countries to investigate claims of corruption. So in the papers that Norman and a few thousand other Canadians presented to the uh, U.S. Embassy, they've had, it has detailed information um, about the SNC-Lavalin affair and a few other sort of, well, misdeeds. Evidence of corruption that um, I, I personally think that the U.S. and Mexico would be interested in, in finding out those details. So, I don't, I, and this is just my speculation as to why, if, if that is part of the reason why he's not, or he chose to not attend that meeting, I don't necessarily know the, 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 the behind the works uh, inner details of this corruption investigation and, you know, whether or not that was why, but I thought it was very interesting. So then that I kind of used that as my jumping off point for this Twitter thread to talk about some of these other things that uh, I'm pretty sure Justin Trudeau and, and his plan don't really want seeing the light of day. <laughs> right, so let me just uh, recap. So again, Norman Traversy took out a private prosecution case against Trudeau alleging obstruction of justice and conspiracy to obstruct. And again, people can go to episode 422. He filed these charges in the Court of Justice in Ottawa. The court, the case was stayed. He's going to refile that case in the meantime. And this has to do with the SNC-Lavalin scandal that you mentioned, where Trudeau and uh, other members of the PMO, it is alleged, and the ethics commissioner basically said this is what happened as well. And the RCMP were supposed to investigate, but that was side-railed. And again, episode 422 will explain what happened. But this SNC-Lavalin firm, which is a big engineering construction firm based in Quebec, were charged with bribing Libyan officials. And my understanding is that they wined and dined, to put it politely, then Libyan dictators, Gaddafi's son, took him on a, a kind of a booze bender across Canada that involved prostitutes and perhaps sex trafficking and so forth. So the then Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould, was 
uh, came out and said that she was pressured by the Prime Minister and his advisors, Gerald Butts and others, to not press charges or, or not to go through with this this uh, case against SNC-Lavalin. That's clearly uh, obstruction of justice. She later resigned her post as AG and then was later kicked out of uh, the Liberal caucus when she started to speak up about it. So that's sort of the SNC-Lavalin scandal in a in a nutshell, but Traversy... The CBC version of the <laughs> SNC-Lavalin. <laughs> right, right. So Traversy now wants the FBI to investigate since our own RCMP is not investigating and the provisions for that are laid out in the new U.S. MCA trade deal, Chapter 27. Any of the participants in this free trade agreement are not allowed to do business with another of the parties if they're corrupt. It's beholden upon them to investigate corruption in one of the other countries. So you're saying that perhaps Trudeau is concerned that if he goes down to the United States, he will then become the, the I don't know, maybe he'll be served with papers. He'll be the subject of an, an FBI investigation. And that's kind of where my thought process is going. And without, I, I try not to, when I do my Twitter threads and when I do my research, I don't, I, I avoid putting out any sort of speculation as much as possible. Of, of course, it's unavoidable healthy speculation sometimes and especially when it's based off of you know seemingly credible information but when I I just I thought back to a Twitter thread that I had made last year and I included a link to it actually in this one it's a bit longer and has a few more other details so I what I wanted to do was extract some of the the more important details and tie those dots together and then paint a bigger picture as to why Justin Trudeau doesn't want people knowing more information about SNC-Lavalin. Okay, so just go into a, a few more details about the SNC-Lavalin connection with Libya and how that all connects back to Trudeau. So Libya, uh, SNC-Lavalin had been doing contract work in Libya, I believe from 2001 to 2011. But like you said, they're a large multinational, well, they're, they're a Canadian company, but they do contracting work all over the world. Um, and Libya, obviously, they had big contracts there. Um, and like you'd mentioned, they had taken, I believe you pronounce his name, Saadi Gaddafi, across Canada and back, and uh, SNC-Lavalin paid for his security, paid for his entertainment and whatnot. So obviously, they were using corporate money to butter up Gaddafi's son in order to, one can only assume, <laughs> to secure these lucrative contracts. Now, this is where I started to tie it in together with the Bronfmans, um, because not only do they have a big connection in Canada, they also have a fairly big footprint in Libya, and that is because of Sarah Bronfman. Um, so Sarah and Claire Bronfman are, uh, the Bronfman family is a very large family and for anybody who doesn't really know them, they um, they kind of got their heels dug in during the Prohibition era in Canada um, bootlegging whiskey um, and they ended up buying into and eventually taking over Seagram's um, and Seagram's fairly reputable uh, liquor making company and they have quite a few subsidiaries as well um, 
and then through the shipping and other means, the Bronfman family has been able to uh, build quite the empire for themselves, and they have had a fairly large significance within the Liberal Party for a number of years, going back um, well before Pierre Trudeau, I believe. Uh, it's it's not necessarily difficult, but the information on the Bronfman family is uh, a little bit obscure, as tends to be the case with a lot of these um, sort of more elite families. Um, so you kind of really have to pick through the scrap heap in order to find details on them, but um, their family tree on Wikipedia actually is, is uh, reasonably well presented. So um, the Liberal Party's chief fundraiser, his name is, is Stephen Bronfman. Stephen Bronfman and Trudeau have been friends for years. Uh, you Google those two names together and find all kinds of articles and pictures about them. Um, so Stephen and Claire and Sarah are cousins, I believe, from what I can see from the family tree. So Sarah and Claire, as many people will know, pleaded guilty to their involvement in the sex trafficking cult Nexium, um, which involved Allison Mack and several other reasonably big prominent names and they were um, luring women and you know, younger women into this sex trafficking harem sort of I, it's <laughs> the best way I could describe it run by a guy named Keith Rainier and um, it came out later after the arrest of Sarah and Claire that they were they had other operations going on they were running uh, daycare centers in Mexico and uh, really, really, really shady, shady stuff. Right. I mean, it was it was not only a sex cult, but it was kind of an investment scheme as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was like a pyramid scheme. It was Keith Rainier had this whole sort of twisted empire that he was trying to build. It's very Jeffrey Epstein-esque almost in a way with his business connections and the way that he wanted to, you know, mass impregnate women and kind of create this strange empire. So that all sort of fell apart and came crashing to the ground. Um, I don't, I don't believe as far as I know that Keith Rainier and either of the Bronfins have seen much justice, uh, I'm not too sure. I, I, I'm unfamiliar with the ongoing details of that edge of the case. However, being that the Bronfmans are connected in with the Liberal Party and in with Nexium, I think it's interesting to draw these parallels. So now Sarah's husband is a guy named Bassett Igtet. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and he was appointed as a special envoy to the Libyan National Transitional Council after the overthrow of the Gaddafi government. So this is just kind of drawing a weird sort of circle here between the liberals, their connection with SNC, SNC in Libya, Libya and the government, Bronfman's and the government, Bronfman's and Nexium. And I've I've read other um less formal reports, I guess I would say, of of Trudeau's personal involvement with Nexium, but being that those are unsubstantiated, it's not something I put out there as information that I want to, to deal with. Um, 
So then when you look a little bit deeper into this guy, Bassett Egtet, it seems that he has some fairly dubious connections like John McCain and um, I pronounce this, Amulaz Mustafa. Right, right. Of the Syrian Emergency Task Force. These are... Right. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not clear whether or not Igtet Bas, Basset Igtet actually knows Muaz Mustafa personally, but they do seem to all sort of run in this big crowd. Right. And you mentioned, you know, there's nothing on the surface wrong with, you know, having an association with John McCain, a long-time-serving oh. senator from Arizona, and according to some, a Vietnam War hero, according to others, not so much. Uh, but it is interesting when you when you see some of the circles that McCain uh, ran in when he would make trips to the Middle East. He was often, and Ukraine, we should mention, often seen photographed with rather nefarious actors, neo-Nazis in Ukraine, and uh, with with uh, leaders of ISIS in the Middle East. So Iktet is kind of rubbing shoulders with a lot of the same people. Well, that's interesting that you bring up Ukraine because there's a whole other aspect of this thread that I could add through Ukraine, being that Christia Freeland, um, her mother, I believe, actually wrote a chunk of the is it their constitution or their, their bill of rights, I believe, and uh, she was good friends with George Soros. They're actually like family friends with with Soros who's involved in Ukraine up to his eyeballs. Right. Her, her grandfather, Michael Chomiak, was a, a, a Nazi collaborator in Ukraine, uh, the editor of a newspaper with, with ties to the Nazis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've heard a couple of details of that as well. And again, being that it's something that I don't have them all, <laughs> of, it's, that's not something I've, I've done a lot of speaking about, per se, but... Um, she was very happy to sit down with George and do that nice long interview when uh, I believe that's when she was with the Financial Times, the Financial Post. And Soros, too. Uh, I think it's been pretty well established. Also, uh, cooperated, let's say, with the Nazis in, in Hungary when he was a teenager. Well, and he, he didn't even hide that fact. He actually, it's in the, the interview that I saw of him, he seemed fairly proud, or at least unashamed, to admit the fact that he helped um, I believe he said that he was being sheltered by a man and they pretended that George wasn't Jewish and this with, with this guy they helped the Nazis confiscate property from George's, I, I believe, neighbors and, you know. Yes, he claims he did this in, in order to survive. He was a young, a teenager really, but he, he hid his Jewish identity, I guess, and yes, collaborated with the Nazis in order to confiscate property from the Jews in Hungary. That's pretty well uh, known. He is certainly not uh, welcome in Israel, let's put it that way. <laughs> or Hungary. <laughs> True, yes, yes. Uh, and so when you take someone like Freeland, who's you know has family connections to this, has close family friends connections to this, and it was interesting. I remember just on a side note of, of Christia Freeland, um, I, and darn, I don't remember the title of the, of the op-ed that she wrote, but it was about modern day elites, the young sort of the up and coming younger crowd of the elite crowd, I guess. And one of the points that she made was when they get together at their conferences and their meetings and their this and their that, their, their newest big thing that they discuss isn't 
you know, their cars or their boats or their mansions or anything. It's their, their foundations and their charities. And every, it's every single one of these large corporations and their families all have personal foundations and charities. There's thousands of them, thousands of them. <laughs> and it's, um, I, I find that very interesting. So, yeah, so we were, we were, we were also talking about the Brompens. I just wanted to, to mention, right. and, and you talked about how, you know, they, it's a pretty closed family. It's, you know, difficult to get a lot of information about them. There was uh, a biographer by the name of Terence Robertson who tried to write a biography. I'm not sure if he had interviewed uh, Sam, who's kind of the patriarch of the family, the original patriarch, and... Robertson was almost done the biography, and he then he confided in a friend. This is according to the uh, the story, true or not, I can't verify. But according to the report, he was confiding to a friend that he had some really dark chapters in this book and things that he knew about the Bronfmans. And uh, then it turned out Robertson never completed the biography. He he turned up dead not too long after confiding in this friend, and that biography was never released, as far as I know. I not surprised at all and I've heard you know similar sounding stories from different areas when it comes to people trying to shed light on on uh, the activities of these people so uh, yeah go ahead oh I was just gonna say when when you talked about it being a close circle that was another point that I brought into in my thread was the fact that a guy the guy named uh, Neil Bruce who's the former SNC lab and CEO his wife actually worked for Stephen Bronfman's company, uh, Claridge. Ah, interesting. Okay, so we've got um, the Bronfmans, we've got Trudeau, we've got SNC-Lavalin, we've got uh, Libya, all sort of connected here. We need to talk about the Bronfmans' connections to their business partners, Les Wexner and Robert Maxwell. First, let's start with uh, Les Wexner from, uh, that's Victoria's Secret, right? Right. Uh, Les Wexner started a group called Mega Group, um, and it was maybe about a year and a half ago I read. It was a fairly long article about Mega Group and all of the connections that they have with, you know, um, American uh, industry titans, of course, but also with uh, Mossad. And it seemed like Mega Group was one of these sort of fronts that were used to curry favors back and forth through the the intelligence agencies of Israel and the United States, and that these guys were involved in it, but also apparently they were involved in uh, running honeypots as well. Right, which is what Lolita Island, little St. James Island in the Caribbean, owned by Jeffrey Epstein, appears to have been utilizing underage girls and businessmen and very powerful people, leaders, politicians, would go there and uh, allegedly videotaped in compromising situations and then they would be blackmailed. So do we know... They were running this out of New York, out of Florida, out of Little St. James, and uh, quite possibly his ranch as well. Right. In Was that in New Mexico or Arizona? Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. So, do we know that Wexner was was bankrolling Epstein? Do we know that? Is that based well, on reports or? And I've I've heard more and more coming out over the last week of you know nobody seems to know where Jeffrey Epstein got any of his money from. It, 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 he's described as being a financier. Okay, well that's a pretty blanket term that anyone could apply to anybody with a lot of money. Um, 
it's widely speculated that Les Wexner bankrolled Epstein. Um, I, if, again, that's the kind of thing you don't, you just, you don't really see paperwork floating around on the internet about these sorts of things very frequently. And when you do, you better take a screenshot of it very quickly before it disappears forever. But I keep hearing about how Jeffrey Epstein got his Manhattan townhouse for a dollar and he got, you know, this mansion or this apartment for a dollar from Les Wexner. So again, we have the Bronfmans with close biz, uh, ties with Les Wexner and uh, Wexner allegedly bankrolling Epstein and uh, also Robert Maxwell, of course, who is the late father of Epstein's partner and accomplice who is now sitting in the uh, Brooklyn Detention Center, Jelaine Maxwell. Yes, it looks like different members of the Bronfman family had been running different business ventures with Maxwell and Wexner for going back for decades. It also looks as though, well, I'm, the Bronfman family is uh, not only are they big donators to the Liberal Party and actually the Conservative Party as well, they donate to both parties. So tell me about Edgar Jr., another one of the, I guess, the heirs to the Bronfman fortune and Edgar Jr., cousins with Stephen Bronfman, who you mentioned earlier, and uh, also Sarah and Claire, who were involved in that sex trafficking cult Nexium. So, Edgar Jr., does he have ties to Epstein? Well, it appears as though Edgar Jr.'s name was in the Little Black Book, now infamous Little Black Book of Jeffrey Epstein. And I take that with a bit of a grain of salt because there's no there, there was no title on the Little Black Book that said pedophile connections or anything like that. And, I mean, there were many other names in that little black book that didn't really necessarily invoke connections of pedophilia. Right. It's like being on the manifest, the, uh, uh, having been a passenger on the Lolita Express, Epstein's private right. plane. It doesn't necessarily mean you were engaged in pedophilia or that you went to Little St. James Island or... Right. And, and you know. just because your name's not on that list doesn't mean you didn't go to the island either. Exactly. Yes many ways to get there so I, I try and take all these things with grains of salt when putting them all together but when you put all these pictures together these pieces together and look at the picture that it creates we have a bunch of people who run business deals with each other and who all seem to be involved in sex traffic it's just it's really hard for me to say oh well that's an astounding coincidence I'm sure Justin Trudeau and his family never knew anything about that and had nothing to do with it well I don't know because you just you put you take another step to the left. You put your shovel into the ground and start digging. You just more heaps of the same swamp creatures. Jelaine Maxwell, her connection to the Clintons. Right. So, I'm I'm looking at a picture here of her smiling at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. It seems that well, Jelaine Maxwell, she 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 definitely had a big presence in a lot of social circles, and you know you can find all sorts of different people photographed with her and and I don't like to play the gotcha game and say wow this person's been photographed with that other person so that obviously means that you know xyz that's it's a stretch to do that and I think it's a little disingenuous to do that um I try not to I I you know <laughs> get my hands caught sometimes speculating but um being that Glenn Maxwell was friendly enough to be at Chelsea Clinton's wedding and being that we know from the flight logs that Bill Clinton and Hillary as well, but mostly Bill, at least what, 26 times? Yes, 26 times on the Lolita, yeah. Yeah, 
And I've also uh, read where I've also read uh, Greg where the whole idea of the Clinton Foundation was actually hatched aboard the Lolita Express between Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein. I also read that as well. Um, was Jeffrey Epstein not? I don't know if he was a board member, but he he was a contributor to the creation of the um, the Clinton Global Initiative, wasn't he? That's my understanding. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then if if you could bring in a guy like uh, Frank Justra into this as well, who's mass. I don't believe, as far as I know, that he has any specific ties to either Maxwell or Jeffrey Epstein, but. Uh, it's very uh, it's very well known that Frank Justra and Bill Clinton are very well connected at the hip. Um, they sort of they've been running around the world together, running favors for each other, and um, you know making the best of their pay-to-play scheme that they had running. But um, I'm not sure how familiar your listeners are with Frank Justra, but he runs a refugee charity out of Greece called Elpida, L-E-L-P-I-D-A, which I believe means hope in Greece, in Grecian. And uh, the logo, the former logo, much like Justin Trudeau's foundation that changed the logo, um, it was that same inward spiraling triangular logo that the FBI released, I believe it was 2007. They released a um, memo saying that you know these are the symbols for or pet of that pedophiles use. So uh, I had a guy on Twitter ask me today, well, do you know for a fact that Justin Trudeau chose that symbol? Like, well, no, I'd be very surprised if he chose the symbol, but I don't see what difference that makes. And, and, and it's speculation as well. I mean, um, Kathy O'Brien did write a book on it, uh, Transformation of America, where she, among Brian Mulroney and others, Pierre Trudeau, um, she named him as one of her abusers, um, along with George Bush and Reagan and a few others. Um, so the claims of pedophilia and abuse are not new to the Trudeau family, which is why I feel confident talking about the fact that they had that symbol as their logo. Um, we know that Trudeau and Joustra and Clinton and all these people, they all run in the same circle. And so it's, it, it becomes harder and harder to say, well, that's a funny coincidence with every new piece of, you know, interrelating evidence. We were talking about the uh, Jelaine Maxwell being a guest of honor. I think she was described as a guest of honor at the Chelsea Clinton wedding. Mm-hmm. Now, talk to me a little bit also about Hillary Annexium, the the, uh, the sex cult that the Bronfman, Sarah and Claire were involved in. So... Apparently, Hillary was taking um, illegal campaign contributions from Nexium cult members, and uh, I got that from Rolling Stone and the New York Post and the Epoch Times, and there's there's a number of different publications that, that mention that. Um, as far as I know, she wasn't personally involved in the operations of Nexium, but... I mean, this is just, it's kind of par for the course for her. Um, but then when you look at what her connections with Nexium are, and then her connections to Libya, and the whole situation with Benghazi and all of the, uh, the nastiness that subsequently happened after the overthrow of Gaddafi, um, it's just, it's, it's too much, you know? 
right, the right. same names, the same places over and over and over and over again. It's, you have to laugh so you don't cry. Right, right. The, the Clintons, uh, Libya, Libya's connection to the Bronfmans, Bronfmans' connection to Trudeau. I mean, the connections are there. It's You can't dispute that the connections are there. It's all in how one connects the dots. And I guess much of that may depend on whether or not Jelaine Maxwell is allowed to uh, to testify, uh, whether she'll live long enough to spill the beans, right? Because some of these names are likely to come out. She has, she has her database, she has videos, photographs, she has a lot of incriminating, damning evidence. Uh, so, well, and I, yeah. I keep hearing more and more, Richard, that she was the, being that she was a Maxwell, she was the one who was sort of the handler for Epstein and not the other way around. It's not like she was helping him. It's that, you know, they were sort of running this operation together, but she was the one with the bigger Mossad connections through her, her father. And President Trump's former labor secretary, Acosta, he took the fall because he kind of signed off on the that that very lenient sentencing for Epstein the first time around, where he basically uh, was sentenced to house arrest. I think he could do weekends or something at a, right. a kind of a country club of a prison in Florida. But Acosta said that he was told it's hands off Epstein because he's an intelligence asset. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm trying to remember if Alan Dershowitz also echoed that same sort of a phrase at all, but I'm, I can't remember either. And then as I go on to in the thread here with the connections with Canada 2020, um, that is an entirely interesting conversation all on its own. I'm not sure how familiar many of your listeners are with Canada 2020. Um, it's an organization that I believe started in, well, it was the early 2000s. And they throw big events where they get big name speakers like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, Richard Branson and Justin Trudeau and James Comey and all sorts of others come in and, and do their speeches and, and push their political agendas. But I thought it was interesting that uh, Branson had done that and Trudeau as well. And if you look at the sponsors for Canada 2020, it's unreal. Well, give me some for instances, some of the sponsors. So the sponsors for Canada 2020 include, now this was as of 2016, so there may have been a couple drop off or add on, but we have Shaw, Shell, Suncor, Sun Life, which is a Power Corp subsidiary, Rogers, TD, TELUS, Innovative Medicines Canada, which is one I'm not familiar with, Interact, uh, Liuna, which I'm not familiar with, MasterCard, and one could do a very long Okay, so kind of a, a who's who of, of a who's who of you know Canada's top corporations. So, but yeah, Google, Facebook, Cambridge, so, PowerCorp. Okay, so just make the connection there. Why is that a concern uh, with Canada 2020? Well, with with something more specifically like Google and Facebook, being that the the nature of the guests that come in and speak and the and the, the sort of the themes of these Canada 2020 talks. They, they they go in a certain direction. They have a certain flair behind them, and it's not a conservative flair. It's not a, you know, it's 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 this progressive. Right, right. And that, yeah, so Canada twenty twenty for for more context is run under a, a company or an organization called Global Progress, and you can find pictures of Bill Clinton and Tony Blair and others um, with Global Progress. It, it's it's just another one of these legs. It's another appendage of this globalist agenda, this, this massive behemoth 
it's just another leg moving it in in the same forward direction. Sure. I mean, Trudeau has made no secret of the fact that he wants to change this country, fundamentally transform Canada into what? Well, um, I think you and I have a pretty good idea. But yes, he... He, he's also called Canada the world's first post-nation state. In other words, we're not really a country. This is the United Nations wet dream up here. It is. And and Justin Trudeau is a very big fan. He's the, like the number one fanboy for Global Citizen. And Global Citizen is, a, is an organization that promotes this progressive globalist agenda as well, um, along with Bill Gates. And actually, it's funny. Uh, I, I, most people would probably recognize the name Sam Roberts, the Canadian singer. Yes, uh, and very well-known singer. Blah blah blah. He's uh, he's also a big fanboy for Global Citizen, and he's actually got a song. And I, I remember this song from years and years and years ago, and it popped into my head a few months ago, and I thought, "Holy hell, that's what this is!" And the so and the song is called Socialism, and I believe the the chorus is like S O C I A. L-I-S-M is the only way. <laughs> so, oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so we have Sam Roberts and Justin Trudeau sharing a stage at a Global Citizen event. The, the other interesting thing that we, we didn't mention, and um, this has to do with Trudeau's tenure as a teacher at the West Point Gray Academy back in the late 90s, early 2000s, private school in Vancouver, that he left suddenly mid-contract with very little explanation. But his roommate at the academy was a guy by the name of Christopher Ingvaldson, who was uh, later charged with four counts relating to the possession and distribution of child pornography. So there again, someone, a rather nefarious, odious character in, in Trudeau's circle. I believe Trudeau had offered him the opportunity to join the Liberal Party at one point, and I don't remember where I read that. I believe it was from a probably reputable enough publication that I'd bring that up with, with a certain degree of confidence. But it's not like he and Chris Ingvaldson just sort of bumped into each other. I mean, if they were roommates, they kind of they knew each other on a more personal level. So whether or not Justin Trudeau actually knew about any of those goings on at the time, uh, that's really hard to say. But we also know that he was fairly close with Peter Danglish as well. Peter Danglish was a UN official in charge of uh, working with children. Um, just looking at, at this yesterday, I had a lady ask me a question about it, and I looked it up. Apparently, Peter Danglish also worked um, in the prime minister's office under Pierre Elliott Trudeau for a little while. Yeah, he's the founder of Street Street Kids International. And uh, as you say, a convicted sex offender who was just, I mean, how evil to take advantage of his position to be in close proximity with such, you know, vulnerable children and then to abuse them. There's a special place in hell for for Peter, like Peter Danglish. It it actually makes me physically sick to think about those kind of guys and what they were doing. Um, Another one was Ben Levin. I'm trying to remember his exact position. I'm... Uh, Alberta. I'm not sure about Ontario politics quite as well. Who's trying to think if he was education minister? Yeah. Well, he was the the um, Canada Research Chair in Education Leadership and right, Policy. Okay. That's at, at uh, what they call OISE, the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. Oh, okay. Yeah. Turned out he was making child pornography too, wasn't he? Oh, convicted of possession and distribution of child pornography. They just seem to be everywhere, don't they? 
And well, um, it, um, Richard, are you familiar with just, it came out right before the election. There were, I believe, two articles that came out of um, the publication called the Buffalo Chronicle. And one of them in particular that I can think of, it spoke about the non-disclosure agreement that Justin Trudeau had signed with the father and the daughter, um, the girl that the young girl that he had uh, had a sexual relationship with at West Point Gray. That's alleged. She wrote kind of a cryptic message in his in his yearbook, and she referenced Trudeau and uh, and Ingvaldson, thanking them for a very I forget the term special year a special like year that. yes yes. I don't know about you know how reputable the Buffalo Chronicle is, uh, but even the National Enquirer gets things right occasionally. However, well, exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a thing that I try not to mention too much or talk about too much. But I think it's important to be aware of all of the information, whether it's speculation or not, because sometimes speculative things. And they really quickly turn into true things. Well, the, I think the, the the takeaway here is that you know all of these things are floating around. These connections are real. What to do with these connections is another matter. But the the mainstream media, the journalists in this country, have totally vacated the playing field. They don't want to talk about any of this. You would think that they would have an ounce of intellectual curiosity. Uh, and so it is left to, I don't know if, uh, if you're comfortable with this term, but citizen journalists like yourself. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a more appropriate term. Um, it's, it is, it's, I hate to use the phrase, but it is what it is. I mean, we're, we're citizens and we're journalists. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm, I, I have to do this because CBC and Global and CTV and none of the others really do. Um, and I hate to slam them all uniformly because I, I still include threads or um, articles from those publications and the Globe and Mail and Financial Post and those in my threads in, like you said, you know, a broken clocks right twice a day. Um, they don't, it's not like everything that they put out is fake news or disinfo or misinfo. There's, you know, there's certain articles that have more elements of truth than others. Um, but I think uh, one of the things I've just been trying to explain about myself is that I think that in order to be as objective a researcher and, and thinker as possible, you have to take in as much information as you can from everywhere, regardless of what you think about that publication. You know, I, I speak with a lot of people. I try and share information with them and say, well, I would never read that. That's from this, that's from so-and-so. Like, well, that's a pretty ignorant position to come from to just outright dismiss something and not even entertain the idea of, of reading it or watching it because you don't like the source that it's from. Right. You have to follow the rules of evidence. Exactly. And that's, and uh, I hate to bring him up, but Ezra Levant, that's a big thing that I know that he has to put up with a lot, um, a lot of the time with because I've tried sharing articles of, from the rebel media over the years on social media and uh, the number of times the provable fact that none of the other news organizations are reporting on it, only the rebel is, and these people would say, well, I would never read that. It's from the rebel. Right. No, uh -huh. I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I think they do some great work. Uh, and I, as the same with True North. And in the yeah. absence of, again, rigorous investigative journalist outlet in this country, you know, those are the two. And, and, uh, and uh, people like Spencer Fernando and... We can add 
uh, the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty to, the la- to that list. Uh, one of my favorites is Dan Dix from Press for Truth, actually, who just had his entire platform torpedoed on YouTube last week um, after having no copyright strikes or notices of, of community um, violations or anything like that. They just, same with Stephen Molyneux, they just, so these we're seeing this more and more and more um, independent content creators who they're just they're being shut down yeah i know dan a little bit um and he was he was arrested out in vancouver that's right at, at a um was it a i guess it was kind of an antifa uh, blm well, it was, event yeah it was a black lives matter rally and i <laughs> i got the notification when he started his live stream and i watched you know the whole three hours and 22 minutes up until the point where his camera got sort of taken out and i, I knew it was going to happen I, I could feel it the whole time watching. I mean, there was at one point sort of about a third or a halfway through his stream when three or four people with masks on out of nowhere just rushed up with their cameras, put them right in his face, and then immediately left. And I thought like, oh, there's people in this crowd who are trying to stir up shenanigans with, with Dan. And Dan is the, <laughs> the nicest guy. He just stood in the back filming it and not talking to anybody. He just wanted to you know, broadcast what was going on there. And, and he would go up to um, the odd person here and there and, and, you know, ask them about their sign or, you know, very non-confrontationally. It was very, um, it, it was very genuine in the way that he was approaching people. And then, of course, and this happens over and over and over again. I see it all the time. Somebody else will come up and don't talk to him. He's a, he's a Nazi or he's a fascist or he's a this or that. Um, and it had happened the week before. And then so um, I saw it happen two, three, four times over the course of that day. And then at the end of the event, you could I could just tell it was going to go downhill really fast. If the police weren't there, it's same thing with what Antifa did to Andy No. Yes. In, uh, yes. I believe it was Portland. Yes. They would have killed him. They would have they would have probably killed Andy No if if um, he hadn't have gotten out of there quickly enough. These are strange times we are living in. I can't help but think things are very close when i say things i'm talking about the corruption the the real the evil to uh, i think spilling out onto the main stage perhaps finally for all of us to see and i think the culprits the names of these people uh, is going to come uh, as an absolute shock to us to many people some of these people are well known there some of them are even beloved and so we, we sit, we wait, we watch, and uh, thanks to the tireless efforts of people like yourself, hopefully the truth will come out soon. Well, thanks, Richard. I mean, I know what you're saying. I can feel it, too. It's like when before a tsunami hits and the water gets all sucked out from the shoreline out to sea and then it just comes crashing back. This is like that, like you can cut the tension with a knife. It's so thick. So I don't... It's no wonder why Trudeau's hiding out in his little cottage. <laughs> yes, the Rideau Cottage. I, I've been wondering for, for months. He placed himself in self-quarantine, and that lasted well past the 14 days. And then I started to wonder, is this guy under house arrest? And now, oh, maybe it, maybe he is. I don't know, Richard, but the more, <laughs> with every passing day, and with how weird and <laughs> and just strange everything is with his behavior, and... And it's pretty widely well known that he and Sophie aren't really together anymore. Yeah, she's been uh, at Harrington Lake for some time. And on July 1st on Twitter, somebody leaked an outtake. They were doing a Canada Day greeting, he and Sophie. 
and someone leaked one of the outtakes where they're they're directed to kiss each other and she could not contain the revulsion on her face after she had to kiss him and the look on his face when she pulled away it was just this it, it looked like somebody had just sorry to say just reached into his pants and ripped his nuts off <laughs> <laughs> well what does she know that we don't what dots has she connected indeed Greg, a great pleasure. Again, uh, give us the website for the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Forum for Canadian Sovereignty can be found at ffcs.info, ffcs.info. And where can we find you on Twitter? On Twitter, you can find me at greg underscore scott 84, G-R-E-G underscore S-C-O-T-T 84. Greg, a real pleasure. I hope we can do this again. I hope so too. Thank you very much, Richard. New Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 